I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hi, I'm Zivi Owens, and you're listening to Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. This 30-minute podcast features a new author interviewed by me every single day, 365 days a year for about 30 minutes. I am also the publisher for Zibby Books, which publishes 12 books a year in fiction and memoir. Our books are already out now. You can check it out on zibbybooks.com. And we have a magazine called Zibby Mag, where we have lots of wonderful essays and lifestyle features. That's at zibbymag.com. We have classes at zibbyclasses.com. And I recently opened a bookstore in LA called Zibby's Bookshop at 1113 Montana Avenue at 11th Street in Santa Monica. I hope that you are able to enjoy some of our other offerings. But this here podcast is the basis of all of it and started in 2018. And no matter what I do, this is basically my favorite thing. Enjoy. And Garvin is the author of There's No Coming Back From This, a novel. Guest hosted by Julie Chavez, author of Everyone But Myself, coming out in January 2024 from Civi Books, and also host of the Ask a Librarian podcast. Anne Garvin, PhD, is the USA Today bestselling author of five funny and sad novels. She writes about people who do too much in a world that asks too much from them. Anne worked as an RN, and after receiving her PhD, taught exercise physiology, sports psychology, nutrition, stress management, and global health for 30 years in the University of Wisconsin system. She currently teaches creative writing at Drexel University in their low-residency Masters of Fine Arts program and has held positions at Miami University and Southern New Hampshire in their Masters of Fine Arts creative writing programs. Anne is the founder of the multiple award-winning Tall Poppy Writers, where she is committed to helping women writers succeed. I was one of them for a little bit, and now I'm an alum. She is a sought-after speaker on writing, leadership, and health, and has taught extensively in New York, San Francisco, LA, Boston, and at festivals around the country and in Europe. And if you follow my Instagram, you may remember that Anne was one of our guests at our Zippy retreat at Canoe Place, and we had so much fun with her. 
And welcome back to Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. I'm so happy you're here today. I'm so happy to be here. You have no idea. I'm just so happy. You're my first interview. I feel very excited about that. I was already happy that I got to be the one to interview you for this podcast, but I love knowing that I'm the first person to it because it's exciting to revisit these things that you wrote so long ago, because I think that's what is easy to forget in publishing, that the the lag between when you write it and when it comes out is so significant that you do sort of, there's a freshness to revisiting it that I'm sure is kind of fun. It is. It is. It is very fun. And but sometimes they catch you in the wrong, you know, you'll think you have to remember that, oh yeah, I did write that, which I think is really funny. But yeah, it is. There's something really wonderful about revisiting, especially after you've given it so much time. Because yes. you do get to revisit it and then see things that you didn't get to see before, which I kind of love. Yes. Oh, well, your latest book is, I thought you said this would work, which is mm-hmm. such a brilliant title. So we'll come back to that because I want to talk about your titles. Okay. But it's about Poppy Lively. She's in trouble with the IRS by no fault of her own. And by the mm-hmm. way, that's like something straight out of my nightmares. So as soon as I was right. reading it, I was like, oh my gosh. But yeah. she's striving to keep her life on track for her daughter. So she takes a job in costuming mm-hmm. as a sort of roundabout, you know, she's connected and then that happens. Now, I'm always not wanting to give away too much. Is there more that you would say that I left out of that description? I think the only thing I would say that might inform people listening to this is that he was uh, the guy that offers her the job is sort of her old love interest. Okay. And somebody that she definitely felt like got away. Yes. And he shows up later in such surprising ways that she gets to forgive. Okay. Good job. Good job. You would think that you'd written this. <laughs> I don't want to say anymore. Because- yeah. I know. I feel the same way where it's just like, I want to tell you, but I'm such a bossy book recommender that I just shove it in people's hands. I'm like, just read this. Don't ask me questions. <laughs> I know there are some people that when they write the review, they write everything. And I think, oh God, take some of that off. A hundred percent. They worry that they can't wait much. Yeah. I don't even read the backs of books. Because I like yeah. to go in totally cold, which has led to some problems in my life. But that's neither here nor there. <laughs> there have been a few. <laughs> I honestly, I think that's a good way to do it. It does free you up a little bit. And I think, you know, the the back copy is helpful, but sometimes it takes you all the way, almost all the way to kind of the climax of the novel. And then all that's left is the resolution. And so, yes. Okay. I'm glad we're aligned on this. This is important for our yeah, future friendship. We're aligned on this. Yeah. Check. Okay. Yes. Very important. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Well, I want to say from the outset, I loved the book. It was so fun and it's such a good read. You really, I know you're a humorist, but I just kept thinking this is humor with heart. Like when I was reading, I just thought there's so much in there that's familiar and comfortable and both just, I mean, so many sentences I read and I thought, oh, that's me. And I'm sure some of it is, you know, being in a similar life stage to Poppy in some ways, but Mm -hmm. I think you write about women who do too much and you write it so, so accurately. And so this book is a joy to read. So congratulations. I think it's going to be so happy in the world. Thank you. I mean, you just said all of the little things that make my heart sing when I hear people talk about my writing. Like you, you said what I try to do. Oh, really? 
I have to say, you know, writing, I always say that whenever anybody asks me, what do you write? I always say, well, I write funny and sad. And that's a hard pitch. It was a hard pitch in the world to because um, publishers wanted you, wanted me to pick a lane, mm-hmm. you know, and I don't know how to think of things other than funny and sad. Like I, that's just the way my, I look at things. So if to have to write all drama or all humor is not something that I could really do, I wouldn't be able to do it. Well, I always say I'm not that funny and I'm certainly not that sad. So I have, I sort of need to put those two things together to create a whole book. You know, that totally makes sense. You have to have a little bit of both, but I also like the humanness of what you're saying, which is that, I mean, everything bittersweet is the word I use all the time because it's just, Mm -hmm. it's life, right? Everything Mm -hmm. has its joy and sorrow embedded into it, beginnings or endings, all of these things that are just constantly converging. So yeah, they wanted you to pick a lane, but I'm glad that you stayed in your lane because it's just yeah. right. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. My very first book was a funny and sad book about a sex offender. Like it was, it was, yep. And uh, the publishers would be like, but you know that sex offenders are not funny. And I'd be like, I know they're not funny. They're not funny. But they were, you know, it was about a woman that kind of lost her mind because she was moved to a town that she thought was going to be the safest place to raise her child and found out there was a sex offender on her street. And I'm sorry, but like, yes, the sex offender is not funny, but it is a little bit funny to watch people push too far. And what we do when we're pushed too far, and I don't think anybody has ever not been pushed too far in all different ways, like a hundred different ways as a spouse, as a, as a parent, as a person who is working in a school system, in a whatever, in a job, like we've all been shoved too far. And then there are times when we become a little bit of a nut because of it. Like, and later, like, I remember one time, oh my gosh, this, I'm still to this day embarrassed about it. But like, I realized when my daughter was in high school and she was dancing at high school dance and they were grinding and that like, I must've sounded like somebody from Footloose when I walked in there and I was like, I cannot believe that you were allowing this to happen. Do you realize what grinding is? Like, and I, I was just like, they are going to come up on my teenage daughter's rump. Like, oh. what did I lose my mind? Like, yes. And I think that I love that kind of thing. Like, I just can't get away from it. Yes, I love it. Some of them come up. That's amazing. Unhinged is just the best place to be or watch someone go to sometimes. Because you're right. We've been there where you're just like, I, yeah, I routinely take things too far for sure. And I know. That's incredible. It is true. I find myself really that generational gap. Yeah, you do turn into the parents from Footloose, right? Yeah. Such an apt comparison. My kids will talk about it. They'll be like, Mom, remember you lost your mind about grinding? I'm like, shh. (laughs) We don't talk about that, kids. Talk about when Mommy lost her mind. We don't talk about that. No, Mommy's fine now. It's all fine. I want to talk about, well, okay, so this is a good point to ask. You started out as a scientist. Is that correct? Yeah. Okay. Tell me, how did you find your way from science to writing? And what kind of scientist were you? Well, okay. So I was first, I was a nurse and I worked as a nurse for years and I put myself through grad school. And then I went to, when I was working as a nurse, I'll try to do this quickly because I tend to go off 
too far into too much details. But when I was I working it. as a nurse, I was like, oh, my God, these people are just laying around. If we could move them around a little bit, they'd feel a little better. And then I thought, I don't know anything about that. So I took a class in exercise physiology and then I got a master's in exercise phys. Well, then then I was like, you know, there's like I think that they should do it because they'd feel better. I don't know anything about the psychological aspects of exercise. So then I, I took a class in that and the professor was like, well, you should maybe think about getting your PhD. And I was like, oh, okay. Like it was so, <laughs> like, I was like, oh, cool. So, and then, uh, yeah, I, I mean, basically like that, I was working as a nurse. I was paying off my tuition. It was like, I could do this. You know, my dad was like, you're never, what are you, you're crazy. Like he wanted me to go learn golfing and become a business person. And I was like, I think I'm going to learn how exercise makes people feel. So then I did all of my work in exercise and mental health. And then I taught health, all of the content for people who are going to be health educators at my university. So I taught like nutrition and stress management and global health and research methods and things like that. So I did that for, I don't know, 28. I mean, honestly, if you put it all together, it's probably like 30 years. And I I did it and I loved it because teaching is telling a story Mm. and research is telling a story. Research is asking a question going, I wonder how that happened. And then putting it all together so that you can maybe discover it, right? So I would never have said that that helped me write a book Mm -hmm. because certainly it took me years to look back and go, oh, it's just storytelling. It's all just storytelling. But I was always, so so when I was working and teaching, I thought to myself, you'll laugh when you hear this, I think, because I said, well, you know, my student, I have a very, it's a good thing there was not a lot of video when I was teaching because I have a, (laughs) We're, we're all adults. I have a very full mouth and a very practical way of teaching health. And these were all people who binge drank and did not, you know, wear condoms. And so okay. I, yeah. And so I was, you know, teaching and I thought, you know, it would be really great to have a larger audience for these kinds of lectures because I really had a way of sort of breaking it down for people. And uh, so I went at first when my, First started talking about this, I I asked if anybody would want to publish a book like that. And they were like, you're not qualified to do that. And mm. I I was like, I what? I uh, I have a doctorate in it. And they were like, yeah, but you don't have a platform and nobody knows you and you're not famous and we'll never be able to sell it. So I thought, okay. So then I didn't really think of being a fiction writer then mm-hmm. because it never occurred to me because I didn't have any ideas about a story. Like I didn't, I didn't have, and I didn't occur to me. I just didn't know, but I was such a reader. Like I've always been a reader. And my friends used to say, oh, you write such great letters. You should write a book, which, you know, everybody knows that writing a good letter is not a, a novelist, right? <laughs> of course. So, but then I, I entered a contest and I, on a whim, and I thought nobody would know. And I got second place and it was a big contest with, and I won money and it was such a like finding a superhero cape in your closet. And there's something about that contest that unlocked my brain for story. Mm. And then I started writing fiction. So that's kind of how it happened. And then like every naive person, I'm like, I'm going to write a book. I can do that. And then I, and then I came up with the hardest book to sell in America, which is a funny book about a sex offender, which was not understanding the market. But I, (laughs) in the end, it did get published. God bless Penguin. But, you know, they didn't market it as a funny sex offender book. I'll say that. So anyway, that's a long story to say 
how it came. And, you know, when you're a scientist and when you're in psychology and when you're a nurse, all of that is about empathy and understanding emotions. So that piece was in place. And I just had to figure out, and I loved reading, like my favorite authors were, you know, Lori Moore and Elizabeth Berg and Olive Kitteridge, and they write funny and sad. They mm-hmm. do that. They didn't really call it that, but that's kind of how they do. Right. And so when I would read their work, I thought, oh, there's space for me. There might be a space for me. Wow. And that's how it all came. Yeah. Yeah. And I also knew that like as as much as I love teaching, I knew I wasn't going to want to do it forever. And I did it for almost ever. And then once video was coming out, I was like, I got to get out. They're going to, I'm going to get canceled. In two seconds. If anybody hears the way that I teach help, you know, they're going to be like, Ooh. so <laughs> hey everyone, I'm quitting before right you get fired. That. Yeah. Right about the time when Snapchat had really hit the stride. I was like, oh. I think I got to go. <laughs> And then I, then I just, now I write full time and I teach writing. So I'm really happy that I don't have to teach health anymore to people who binge drink and don't wear a condom, you know? <laughs> you know, so there it is. In nutshell. I think you landed exactly where you're meant to be. That is such, I love those stories because we all want like a clean trajectory, right? Or at least I know I did, yeah. especially when I was younger, I want right. the career yes. and I'll start out and But it's just, it's so often not the way that things happen. And I think especially for writing, like you're saying, all of those moments and jobs and that gathering of just understanding of people is Mm -hmm. so valuable when you're writing fiction because you're writing about people and people are crazy. So you need lots of samples. Yep. Yeah. And I think, and the other thing is that I said about, I always say this about getting your PhD, like it is a really good sort of sweat lodge for writing a book mm. in terms of rejection, because when you're working on your PhD, at least, at least in my era, they were brutal. They were so hard on you. Oh. And so like they, they were just freaking brutal. And so I think that once I was getting rejected nicely from agents, I was like, oh, that's okay. Like they're nice about it. Yeah. They didn't call me an idiot. So that's good. (laughs) I'm winning. Wow. Look at this nice email I got. It's so true though. I never even thought of that. Yes. Defending a thesis sounds like the worst. When my did my master's thesis, I was wearing a light silk shirt and I looked like I'd been knifed under both armpits. By the end of it, I went into the bathroom and I was like, note to self, no more light silk tops when you're nervous. Yeah. Oh, not, I love that story. Try. Yeah. Not, I should not. I, there are no photographs I got. Yeah. Oh, aren't you so glad? I tell my kids that often. I'm like, look, you know, it, I would not have survived if social media were happening while I was in high school. So, no. And then, yeah, Yeah. going forward, I do have some pictures of a very tragic short haircut that I had in college that I pull out occasionally. (laughs) But luckily, they're just, you know, four by six, and I can keep them under wraps. And you can't do this to it. Really see it. Oh, yeah, you can't zoom in and just torture yourself. Oh, you're so right. I also, in addition to the tragic haircut, had a very, very bad style period during that, and it was in the time of Bermuda shorts anyway. And gosh, I look back, I'm like, this is just a tragedy right here. Yeah. (laughs) 
hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Sometimes we all have stuff we need to get off our chests. Even if we don't think it's interfering with our daily life, there are some things you just haven't processed be it grief or trauma, eating disorders, anything, it might be time to work on those things. And I have a solution for you. Therapy. Online therapy by BetterHelp. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. I took the brief questionnaire online where there were, I don't know, 20 questions. It didn't take long at all, maybe three minutes. And then I got matched with a therapist who could help me work on whatever. I picked trauma because even though it happened in 2001, I am somehow still not over the loss of my friend on 9-11. And it is what it is. BetterHelp is going to help. And I am so excited, especially because with my special code, instead of $80 a month, it is 10% off $72 a month, which is so much less than traditional therapy, and you'll get a perfect therapist for you. There are 35,000 therapists to choose from, so you'll find the right one. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash moms don't have time today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash moms don't have time. Well, that leads nicely into my next question for you, which is about costuming, because that is so much of this book. And I loved what you talked about. Did you get to take a tour of like a wardrobe space? Okay. And I also- Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. No, no. I want to hear it. Go. Hit it. I spent days on the Universal Backlot and days on the Sony Backlot with a key grip and his, and a costumer who had- done all of the movies that you have seen. Oh my like gosh. she did she was she did Hidden Creatures, she did King Richard, she did every single thing Adam Sandler ever did. She did she had an Emmy and she she also connected me to five other costumers who also had long lunches and showed me places and showed me their notebooks and explained everything. And then we would all get together for lunch and I would pretend that I was a costumer. And I was so obnoxious that I'm sure they were like, this lady is too much. But I was so, I got, she's hours, hours and hours because it was a little bit during COVID. They were only shooting one thing there in the back lot. And so I had free reign, like free reign. I don't think it would ever happen like that again. And probably if I said it out loud and Universal Studios heard me, they'd be like, please stop saying that. Because 
And it was really funny because they were still doing, it couldn't have been, well, it was in the middle of COVID because they were still doing a lot of COVID restrictions and people hadn't come back to the back lot to do it. And I brought in, I was like the people from the studio, from the tour would come through and I, they would like take our picture and I'd be like, like it was so funny. It was the best. Exp- I got to go inside the Psycho House and the Bates Motel. I got, oh, I, it just was amazing. I was not restricted in any way. And and I think part of that was because I spent all my time with them saying things like, but what do the doorknobs look like? Like, they'd be like, like, they'd say, we can't believe you're not asking any, you know, dirt on celebrity. I'd be like, I just need to know, is there a bench in the wardrobe? area yes would lay down like where is the place where there's a shower like and they were like it was so funny because she said nobody ever asked us about our job no one ever asked us yeah and I by the end of it I was like a costume evangelist because you know besides the script which of course the script writers don't get enough you know yeah heralding of course, the, the costumes are the characters as much as anything else. And the way that they are, you know, forgotten mm. is is shocking to me. And I am a huge movie as much as a reader. I am. I am a movie person, too. Like, I love movies. I, I joke and I always say I've watched them all. I I I had it was the time of my life oh. to be able to do that. And I just count myself so lucky. So I had a friend that lives that lives in LA. And she, I said, do you know any costume designers? Or and she was like, Well, the, the one that she lives across the street and down downways, she just retired after 30 years. She probably has time to talk to you. Yeah. And now we're like friends. Like we're all, I feel like, well, I don't know if they think I'm a friend, but I'm like, we're friends. <laughs> we're friends now. I am constantly like sending them thank you notes and stuff. And I'm sure they're like, we got another box from Anne. Like it's. (laughs) Hey, bestie, it's me again. (laughs) (laughs) They're like, do we have to have lunch with her again? When is this book out? (laughs) It's so It's so true. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. And the key grip guy too. He was like, he like, I don't think anybody ever asked him anything either. And I was like, I would be like, so what does a key grip do? And we'd be like 45 minutes into being like telling me what the key grip really does. And I loved it. I loved it so much. And I got, oh, I on Instagram, and I can send you some too. Like, and if you go to my website, they've created a door where you can click on it and you get all of this information about it because that suit that is yes in that's yeah that's on the website and and in my instagram i'm starting to post all the pictures of inside the costumes area and it's like you it's like the biggest goodwill you've ever seen that's what it's like it's not tidy i don't know how they find anything that's amazing yeah and they don't have an iconic costume area. Like they're just in with the rest? She was like, sometimes you can find one and it'll say. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Just put that wherever. Yeah. Just put it wherever. Yeah. So that was really fun. And then, and I wouldn't have been able to write, you know, there's that piece of intrigue in it. Yes. Um, that you sort of, it's a little bit of a mystery. Yes. And you don't know who is at the ha- at the center of it. Absolutely. And I. 
So when I, I'll tell you, do you want to know how the idea came up? I feel like I'm going to take up every minute of your time all day today. I love it. Continue this. I'm fascinated. Yes. I do want to hear how you came up with the idea. Okay. Well, it was very funny because during COVID, I was writing a book that wasn't working and I now know why it wasn't working, but I I was, I'll tell you why briefly, because you're a writer too. And probably a lot of the writers will, you know, that listen to this, maybe are writers, but I was writing forward from a premise instead of a story. I was writing forward from my idea instead of my character arc. And so I had a great idea. Okay. And I had three characters in a mo- rotating point of view, but I did not have a story. I had an idea of what they would be doing, but doing is not a story. And I, and it was the first time I've ever done that. I don't know why I did it, but I really couldn't get it done. And so I had written it through three times and gone through three edits with my editor. And I, I said, to them. And it was so funny because it, what did it was when I saw Bob Saget died, for some reason, I was like, Bob Saget died. I'm not going to die writing this book. And and when I told my agent that I said to my agent, Bob Saget died, I'm not writing this book. And she was like, what? Wait, what? <laughs> and she was like, I, she goes, D- um, do you know? And I was <laughs> I don't, but he was like 60 and he had just finished doing like a show and he was back on the road. He was having this great life and then he died. And I was like, I'm not going to die writing this book as if like I was up in my bedroom. It was not doing risky behavior. Right. And so I, yeah. So I pulled that book and my agent said, and which I don't know if I'll ever go back to it because it's not really a story yet. And maybe I'll figure it out, but it's done in and not good. So <laughs> then I, but I had made a joke in there. She said, can you pitch an idea by Monday? Cause it was Friday. And I said, yes, yes, I can. And I didn't know if I could, but I was like, I'm gonna. So I had made a joke in the book in the, that this woman character had, had gotten all of her money by being a costumer for all of the remakes of Nora Ephraim's rom-coms, but with dogs. And, and no, it's so silly. It's a joke. Mm -hmm. I picked that out. I pulled that out and I thought, okay, what kind of, what's the story there? And I built the story around that. But then after I wrote the first chapter, I wrote the pitch, they bought it. They were happy. And then after I wrote the first chapter, I was like, Jesus, I don't know anything about this. And I called my friend and I got on the phone with this costume woman and we talked for a couple of hours. And then I said, are you free next week? I'm flying in. And she was like, yep, yep. And I got on a plane and I would not have been able to write that book had I not been on the set to see what the possibilities are. Mm. And once I was on the set, I was like, Oh, okay. And then also I, when I got on the set, even though I do spend a a lot of time out in LA, whenever I'm out in LA, I am either viewing LA as a New Yorker, because that's where I was from originally, or a Midwest person, you know? And so like, when you are a Wisconsin person and you drive into LA for the first time, it's like, it's so unusual. Mm. And so wild and so different that you you can't not observe it in that way. So for me to get be this Wisconsin woman 
who was, you know, being transported into, you know, the shark tank of Universal Studios and all of the people that have do this as if it's the air they breathe was such a fun experience because it's so freaking funny. It's funny on both sides. It's funny coming, looking at this behavior that they take for granted. And it's also funny for them looking at the Wisconsin person and being like, are you kidding me? Like, what are you, what? And I loved that juxtaposition. It was really fun to observe on both. Like I always say when I'm, I, whenever I pass homeless people in LA and it's not just one, it's like clumps, yeah, large clumps, it's whole tent cities. Right. And I always say to my friends, I'm like in Wisconsin, if someone is laying on the side of the road, you stop and you bring them inside and you give them something to eat. Like you don't drive past them. Like it's so interesting. And so it was with that sort of framework that I entered the Universal Studios and then it was all like the, I, I want to say the jokes just wrote themselves because it was such a funny experience for me. You know, I'm, I'm sure that they did. Yeah, they did. And then the other piece of it is that she's not a movie watcher. So she doesn't have that irreverent. Like she's not, she's irreverent. She doesn't care. Mm-hmm. She's like, yeah, I'm just not a big movie watcher. I don't even know who these, what, what is the big deal? And that's another piece of it that like, I didn't want her to write it like, like me, like, you know, starstruck and yes, I wanted to write it like, this is a job that I have to do. And I, and you guys are like, kind of, what's your deal? And uh, <laughs> that was really fun. It was just a really fun sort of hat to put on, you know, the kind of wide eyed, like, yes, thing. I loved reading it that way. And you're exactly right. She's reverent. She's allergic to dogs, which was one of my favorite details. As a yeah. person with allergies, I was like, this is perfect. And I think yeah. you're so right because familiarity is what robs us sometimes of actually seeing how yes. interesting yes. and weird things are. Yeah. And you so you got to get yourself yeah. out of your culture, right? You got to get yes. yourself out of your world. Otherwise, you see, like, I even when I'm driving through my town, I'll be like, when did that building go up? And somebody will say, well, it's been up for years. And I think, how did I miss that? You know, you yes. you fill in the blank for yourself. It's so true. So when you were walking around with your brand new eyeballs, checking things out, it was it was really fun to play around with some of that and then build in a Midwesterner's view of the stuff, you know, yeah. all of the stuff. Even the fact that she did something about this intrigue, I thought was interesting because I think most people wouldn't have done anything. Mm-hmm. You know, she would have just been like, that's none of my business. I'm not, I'm not, that's none of my business. And so it was really fun to sort of make it her business. And, you know, I don't know. It was, I, ha- I have to say it was a really fun book to write. I, you know, just for me, just for me to experience all that, you know. Oh, I bet. Well, yeah. it comes through, I think listening to you talk about it, is so fun for me because having read the book and enjoyed it so much and seeing so many parts of it in your experience that were translated, I think just through, yeah, just without even trying, I, I yeah. am such a fan. So I'm so Thank glad we you. got to talk about the book and yes. share about it. So yeah. Yeah. Is there I, anything else that I feel like I interrupted everything you wanted to say? And I, <laughs> 
you know, I know you can't talk for very much longer because I think we're already over time, but <laughs> it's fine. I do want to ask okay. you one more question. I am going to tell everyone yeah. to go to your website because it's so impressive and so, and the costuming stuff is so cool. So I was down the rabbit hole with that, but I did, I have gotten to interview a few of your tall poppy friends oh, and yeah. that's been so fun. And I told yeah. Allie and Asha when I interviewed them that it sounds like just like the nicest, non-dangerous cult, and I want to be in it. So, you know, just let me know on that. But the yeah. other thing, this is what I want to know. You founded it. You're part of it. But tell me, not the backstory. I just want to hear, you know, you're up in the morning. What do the poppies mean to you? Oh, gosh. Some of my best friends are poppies. A lot of them are my best friends. Mm. It means that I'm not alone in an area where you can be alone. In my town, we do have a fair amount of writers, but you know, most of my friends aren't writers. Nobody's a writer. And so when I say something like, can you believe X, Y, Z? My people are like, I just, sorry, you know, (laughs) but when you say it to a writer, they're like, oh, oh, you know, and they get it. And and that group, or you say, you guys, this bad thing happened and mm-hmm. now nobody's going to read my book. They just swoop in and then they do something about it in such a big way. They're the most generous group of people that just believe like I do that writing isn't a competition and that there's no room for competition. There's room for all of us. as And, and one person's success has nothing to do with my failure or success. Yes. And so I really having this group has meant so much to me. And, you know, running any group is a lot of work. And so there have been times when I thought I can't, it's too much. (laughs) I'm sure it is kind of a lot, but I think it, I don't know what I would do without them. Honestly, there's just such a great group of women. And we've, we've had a lot of turnover over the years because writing is like that. Yes. Right. People come and go, come and go. So it's been really nice to have this one very solid thing that I've had in my writing career ever since the second book. So, yeah, it's a great group and they are friendly. Well, yes, the ones I've interviewed were just a delight. And then I know some of them I was looking through the list today, you know, like a quiet little stalker. (laughs) No problem. Oh, I get it. (laughs) Yeah. I do. Well, you let me know if you ever want to do something with the poppies. You just let me know. And is your memoir going to be published soonish? Do you know? Uh, January. You, how are you? January. Oh, so, congratulations. Yes. Thanks. Thanks. It'll be exciting. Wonderful. I'm looking forward to it. Yes. Oh, well, hit me up. I'll do whatever I can. I will. I'll send you thank you notes. Just like you, the costumers can't shake you. You will not be able to shake me. That's what's about to happen here. Best friendship. I like that. <laughs> I like a good... I like a friend that can't shake me. I like it. That works for me. Well, thanks so much for being well, here you. today. And can't wait to read, share your book with the world. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at ZibbyOwens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. 
Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.